is this anomaly that it had when it went up to 19,000 and, and then crashed, does that represent a crash of Bitcoin or a crash of the hype of Bitcoin? You're listening to Pardon the Disruption with your host, Tom Young. Hi, everybody. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Tom Young. Let's go around the room. This is Bart Gallo. This is TJ Young. This is Rohan Kapoor. Hey, guys. Uh, today, we're going to talk about, we're going to revisit an old topic uh, that was pretty hot uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, specifically Bitcoin uh, and to a lesser extent blockchain because blockchain is still hot. But Bitcoin had a spectacular rise in the fourth quarter of uh, 17. Fourth quarter of 17, and then very, very early 18. And now yeah. no one has any money left. And it, and it, that, <laughs> was, that was a spectacular crash. Uh, it had all the, all the uh, makings of a, of a mania. And uh, we did a show, uh, one of our companion podcasts, I think on uh, FOMO. Yep. And FOMO was really driving that fear of missing out. People were chasing seeing these tremendous returns that were happening, and not just for Bitcoin, but for other cryptos as well. In fact, some of the other cryptos had more spectacular rises and falls than than uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. Like peak FOMO for uh, at least myself and my friend group uh, was New Year's Eve, the end of 2017. We were all gathering around after a couple drinks, and the whole conversation, the whole night was dominated by yeah. how much money were we going to put into Bitcoin and Litecoin and Ethereum and everything else? We got, my fr friend read a book. He was handing out books. He's like, you got to read this. We got to get in. We're going to be early. That peak FOMO was January 1, 2018. I, I think I bragged to a few family members about being relatively early. And then it, then it turned into me giving them terrible advice about when they <laughs> should buy in. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, my uh, friend's dating an Italian girl. And she was saying her mom in Puglia, like southern Italy, in the middle of nowhere, was was asking her about Bitcoin and whether she should be buying some. Yeah, so it's it spread like this crazy wide. critical mass. Yeah. So it's almost like this, uh, at some level, where were you on 9-11? <laughs> yeah. Remember where they were when they uh, Bitcoin When they crashed. spent $19,000 on <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin. Whenever this is brought up in my uh, same group of friends, uh, a friend of mine always busts my chops because he has a screenshot of a text I sent him oh. <laughs> <laughs> way back when I was trying to get him into Ethereum. I'm like, Bitcoin's dead. Buy Ethereum. It's more stable and <laughs> more scalable. <laughs> And I said, by now, you'll never see it below $1,200 a coin again. <laughs> and it's trading at 141 <laughs> <laughs> So it, it's, uh, I, I started following this uh, I don't know, many years ago, and uh, it was around $40 uh, a Bitcoin. And uh, now the peak, it got up to like over 19000 So just to give you a sense of how crazy it got. But it was so damn complicated in terms of how to buy it. I mean, yeah. It's still a pretty complicated process. Yeah. Uh, and we, we started following it. And then I remember we hung out with Harsh Preet Singh in Hoboken. Uh, and we were t he was talking about it. And we were talking about uh, ICOs, which were these uh, coin offerings, initial coin offerings. And his view was buy $1,000 worth put it in the drawer and come back in 10 years and see what happens. Yeah. And at some level, had you done that back then, you'd still be way up. Yeah. You'd have missed out on the rise and the fall, but it's still significantly up. I mean, the first Bitcoin I bought, I, I bought relatively late relative to following it, but I was early relative to the crowd. Mm -hmm. I got in, I think at 3000. 
Yeah. And it's trading at 4,200 now. So it's, that's up a lot. But I also bought some in the teens. Mm. I don't know what, like 14 or 15,000. That's crazy. And that's way down. Um, so I got caught up in the FOMO, but I got in a little early, but it's still a, a, a fairly interesting uh, phenomenon around what is going on with cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and everybody's still in. Uh, Bart, you mentioned before you're out. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't get back in at some point, but I just wanted to move uh, the money I had in that into uh, different types of investment vehicles for the time being. I think it's a good, it, for, for me, it, it was a good driver to put a bit of money in and therefore really stay attached to what, what this whole thing was and learn a bit more about it. Because I think when you have a bit of money in, you're obviously a bit more interested in yeah. Like, the news and things like yeah, that. Yeah, so, it was so much fun too yeah. during that period. Yeah, <laughs> just following. I got some value, even though uh, not not financially. <laughs> yeah. I went to a seminar at Rutgers in I want to say like 2011 um, about Bitcoin, and I think I think it was I, I might be wrong about the timing, but I believe it was like under one dollar. Yeah, at the time oh, that I man. went. Yeah, and I just remember going, I was very open to you know he was like one of those early Bitcoin entrepreneurs giving the talk. And he spoke for like 45 minutes really, really well about Bitcoin, gave you the background, compared it to traditional currencies. And the thing that stuck out to me is that um, the person from the economics department at Rutgers who was hosting the talk uh, was like a former uh, New York Fed type person. And I I think within like 10 seconds of the guy finishing his really well thought out talk, he was like, yeah, it's interesting, but uh, you know, I don't see how without centralized control and regulation, it could ever work. But thank you. Like (laughs) just, you know, just really jumped on the guy after I thought he gave a good talk. So, and I think part of the reason why you want to do this episode is uh, the hype for, it felt like you couldn't escape Bitcoin um, and to some extent blockchain around that period. And then it just, crashed and then it just fizzled out of the news headlines and gradually people just stopped talking about it and, and just it, to, to timestamp this podcast as well because who knows when people will be listening to this mm-hmm. bitcoin's trading at just above four thousand it's at 4100 now and the market cap for the whole industry is at 146 billion and i remember at the peak when we were rising to the top of that peak of that bubble it was about the knock on the door on one trillion for the market. Yeah. It was about eight hundred million, eight thirty, eight thirty, and then it started to go down. So yeah. Just to give context where we stand now, mm-hmm. and and more re- and so recently we we uh, JP Morgan announced they were getting in, and that suddenly started the headlines again. It started to surface yeah. about Bitcoin, and and that's kind of what why we wanted to bring this up. So there, there was an award winning show that came out in uh, uh, twenty sixteen, Mister Robot, and I want to play a quick clip on that because. This is when it started to introduce the concept of Bitcoin into now, albeit it was a dystopian show, but it did win uh, an Emmy Award, I think, for the best drama, or or maybe it was BAFTA, I forget. What it, but it won a an award for one of the best TV dramas. Anyways, uh, we have this clip. It's a little bit of a long clip, but it's very a uh, compelling clip on uh, the role of Bitcoin and how it can disrupt existing markets. So let's play this clip from. Mr. Robot from, this came out on September 2016. But if you are indeed asking, then I am saying no. It's unconstitutional, you can't make your own currency, that is the federal government's job. We simply cannot let you make big loans in e-coin that you wouldn't make in dollars. Jack. Look at me. 
I am not the problem here. The problem here is hard cash is fading rapidly. That's just the way of the world right now. And Bitcoin is spreading. And if Bitcoin takes over, we are all in a world of hell. It is unregulated. It's already reached its transaction volume maximum. And it is partly controlled by Chinese miners. You just accepted $2 trillion from them. Yes, yes. And now I want to use it against them. With eCoin, we control the ledger and the mining servers. We are the authority. I will make sure you have visibility into every single wallet that's open, every loan, every transaction, which means we can start making new assets, which means we can start rebuilding the banking sector without your having to inject even more politically unpalatable federal funds into it. The president will laugh in my face. But he'll know this is the right thing to do. This is going to be controlled by a good old-fashioned American company. You want to regulate it? Be my guest. Regulate the shit out of it. I'll give you back doors, side doors, trace it, whatever you want. Just don't shut it down. That's a great clip. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, I don't know. It's the term, a Wall Street Journal said, life imitating art. Really, though? Yeah, yeah. because yeah. that came out, you got to remember, that came out in 16. Yeah. And oh, Bitcoin yeah. was what 500, 500? at the time that that Robots? clip was written. So Sam Ismail wrote the the Mr. Robot series, very good series. You haven't watched it. It's on USA Networks. Figure out how to get it. You can get it on YouTube and pay two dollars an episode. Absolutely worth it. Great episode. S season two, I think this was a season two um, series. Mm -hmm. So I think it was season two, episode eleven, if I had my notes right. But he had to have written that months before that. So at the time, you know. Uh, Bitcoin was trading around $500. Now, it had gone through, because again, I, I, I've been following it for a long time, but I never jumped in because I couldn't really understand how to buy and sell it and where I would do it, and it felt like I was buying and selling drugs. <laughs> and um, But it, it, it had gone up really quickly to 1,000 and then dropped to 200. So it dropped 80%. Not dissimilar to what it, the 19,000 drop that it's had. But it went from 1,000 and it was spectacular. I remember being in Canada. People, oh my God, it went up to a thousand because it was seven hundred dollars on Monday and a thousand on Friday, and then it crashed to two hundred, and then it's sort of doing kind of what it's doing now. It started gradually working its way up, and it hit around five hundred when they wrote this episode, and talked about uh, that clip, which was very, uh, very entertaining. But now we start to see we've had a, a spectacular rise again and an eighty percent drop. And it's now climbing back up. I think in the last 30 days, Bitcoin's up about seven and a half percent. And the issue is, uh, is is it a bear trap? Is it something that is going to go away? And then more broadly, what is going to happen with cryptocurrencies? And then even more broadly, what about the technology behind it, which is uh, the blockchain technologies? So as we go back, you can go to the Wikipedia page. You can look at the history of of Bitcoin. It was really. It came out in January of 2009 in the wake of uh, the financial crisis that we had, and uh, it, 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 it's the first real good application of blockchain technologies. Now we see blockchain technologies and business applications 
uh, starting to really get some legs in the coming years, especially with the proliferation of um, what I'll call multi-source data environments where you need to get authentication and, and control ledgers. Yeah. So pretty interesting stuff. Well, and after the volatility from last year, I think that just the average investor is probably still scared because of the all the, dis- the disparity between the headlines coming out around like what's going to happen next, what's going to happen in 2019, 2020, five years from now. And there's so much hyperbolic speculation in all these different directions. So if you're just an average reader going through headlines on Forbes or wherever, you, you have no direction on what to actually go do. So a couple couple of fun ones I'll just read off here. So and these these first few are extremely biased, but they're good just that's to great. know what it. they're saying publicly. <laughs> so the CEO of Binance, that's one of the uh, China's largest cryptocurrency exchanges, as well as the Winklevoss twins. So they both have a huge stake in this being a thing and a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. Now the Winklevoss uh, twins, those are the guys that had had it out with uh, Zuckerberg. At yeah, Harvard. yeah. They they tried to get control of the company. Right. They were profiled pretty highly in the social network. Have you seen that? Uh, so, but they have a huge stake. They have a, I forgot the number, but they have a lot of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both saying again, uh, three hundred thousand a coin. They're thinking it's going to replace gold as a, uh, a store of value that's going to have more integrity than. When did gold they say this? <laughs> Uh, last late last year. So their prediction is we're going to be trillionaires. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. So and then uh, op- opposite bias. So the CEO of PayPal says it's going to go to zero. Again, he's directly he's in conflict. He's the CEO with of PayPal. CEO of another payment processing utility mm. tied to very the much traditional money. Yeah. Uh, Tim Draper, you know, you know this guy. Yeah. He's a, ven- a famous mm-hmm. uh, venture capitalist. Um, he says BTC at four million a coin. But he won't. He refused to give a timeline for that. I'm like, oh, great. That's great. You can never be wrong. <laughs> yeah, thirty twenty-seven. Um, quick aside on his background this is actually pretty interesting. Uh, and he said in July twenty fourteen, this is how he got involved. Draper received wide coverage for his purchase at a U.S. Marshal Service auction of seized bitcoins from the Silk Road marketplace. He also spent an excess of five million dollars to purchase a ballot initiative to divide California into three smaller states, which has met the signature threshold but was removed from the ballot by decision in the Supreme Court of California. Oh, wow. So the last part is not really oh, related he, to Bitcoin. He introduced that, though? I remember when that was floating around the news, the uh, no, no cow, so cow, he, and cow. He, he spent a million, $5 million to push a ballot initiative, so he was like behind it. But it got enough signatures and was shot down at the Supreme Court. Wow. So again, not really related to Bitcoin, but this guy has some influence, and he had a huge purchase from the U.S. Marshals when they took all that Bitcoin from the the big deal, the big uh, break that happened on Silk Road, but they tracked yeah. down some of the biggest uh, dealers it. in general, a lot yeah. of the financial conspiracy. But but the the fact that that Bitcoin was used for illicit purposes, um, all kinds of criminal activity, drug dealing, etc., on Silk Road, also underlines why it's a valuable uh, tool. And w- one of the things that I always found fascinating with the with the Bitcoin implementation is so far it hasn't been hackable. What's hackable is people are lazy with their key structure and how they protect their, their passwords for their stuff. And that gets hacked, like the Mt. Gox uh, in Japan, that was one of the biggest exchanges. People were leaving their Bitcoins in escrow with them and then they got stolen. But if you protect it, it's not been breakable yet. Uh, and so, and there's no one printing more of it. I think it's going to max out of 21 million coins. Mm-hmm. The yeah. problem I think that it has, I can't see it going to the, I mean, it just sounds crazy to say 4 million a coin or even 300,000. The amount of energy required to to process the stuff, I think it's too much overhead. Yeah, I think it's like 21x the Visa 
market. Yeah, so I think until and, and I don't know how that gets solved because it's decentralized. It, and I think that's a, a Bitcoin specific problem and other currencies yeah. that, that mimic it. I think other other cryptocurrencies that are meant to be more quote unquote scalable. If you kind of believe that propaganda, saying you don't have to, it's not as energy intensive, so you mm -hmm. don't have to run every data center in the world. There was some crazy speculation or like a forecast. If you said based on the current growth, yeah, every data center in the world would be mining Bitcoin at some point. Yeah. It's just more energy output than we've ever produced. It's 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 crazy. So so it's sitting. So right now, let's just use Bitcoin as a proxy for all crypto. So but I, I I think that's. Uh, there's a there's a high correlation, but it's not 100. percent Some some do really well, some don't do well. Uh, it's at 4,200 now, as I look on my exchange. Mm -hmm. Do we think that a year from now it's going to be north or south of 5,000? Personal opinion? Yeah, I'd say north of 5,000. I think it's going to gradually go up, but probably top 5,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say north of 5,000. So if that's the case. Then you're looking at it at and, and I and I hate that and I use the term even loosely asset. But you're looking at an asset class that's likely to go up twenty percent from from where it sits today. Now it's hard to point to a lot of other asset classes where you could be as as you know confident. I mean I mean you could probably pick some emerging technology penny stocks and uh, some things in biotech or. Uh, AI or robotics, where you might see similar kind of returns, but you know, I think people today in low interest rate environment uh, are struggling to get that kind. Of, certainly, pensions can't get that. What? But so, I guess one piece that I'm less aware of is what is going to drive that twenty percent increase in the value of Bitcoin, because you've seen some headlines where people are conflating Bitcoin with some of these announcements from the banks around there their tokenization of money transfer. If we are going to truly get 20%, uh, what's gonna drive that? It, I think, to, it's, I agree, I think it's gonna be over 5,000. Mm -hmm. But I think it has everything to do with social adoption, because the supply is fixed. Mm -hmm. So, And so what we're really saying is, we're going to see a 20% increase in demand of in adoption levels which drives the increased price. If if we if we said it's going to go be more out of vogue then I think it it should go down. But it really I think it's the notion of if I if I went back like 15 years ago culturally when you talked about a cashless society people had a very dystopian view of that. And then today you know, I carry a, a good amount of cash around with me. This is old school, but you guys don't. Do you guys carry a lot of cash on you? Not really. Well, not not even that. Like, there's cashless places in the city, right? A lot. Yeah. So the even in my area, the coffee shop downstairs cashless. The suit, nearest supermarket to me is in the new mall, Citarella, cashless. I can't even buy groceries in there without card. So, uh, I I think that's an interesting flip. I mean, people. Are, uh, aren't freaking, I mean, there used to be cash only businesses, right? So there's, yeah, uh, there's still, there's still Peter around. Luger's in, uh, <laughs> in Brooklyn. I think it's cash only, yeah, or their, their own Peter Luger card. But there's a few places that are cash only, uh, and people are okay with that. But when you flip it over and go no cash, then, uh, historically that would have been a big deal. But now people are starting to accept that and people are using cards for everything, mm -hmm. which then gets to the notion of, uh, what is money? 
and how people view money and in the common culture. Because I think as to the extent we create money as an abstraction in our culture, we we then create the groundwork for things like cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin to start to compete with government's issue of that abstraction or, or through the central banks. Mm-hmm. So the US dollar. So like right now people have frequent flyer miles. So you so we're near United Hub here. I have United Airline miles. I'm using those miles to get a flight to Japan with my daughter later this month. Um, and so it gets to the notion of what is, what are these credits or these digital assets that sit there? Because frequent flyer miles are digital assets. I can't, I can't print them out. I can't hold them. They're just a, a ledger entry that says I've got this many miles and I can use it for goods and services. So there's a clip that I want to play. It's an old lecture from Alan Watts in the 1960s. I want to play a, a short clip because I, I listened to this clip a couple times. It's a, it's a longer, about a half hour lecture, and it's called, and we'll put this in the show notes, it's called Money, Guilt, and the Machine. And there's several versions of this out on YouTube, but I'm just going to play a 30-second clip here where he, because this, this profoundly have impacted my own personal view about what is money. That money is the circulation of information and in itself has no value. Gold, of course, has some value. It has some value for industry and some value for dentistry and some value for jewelry. But as a means of exchanging the goods and services of the world, it is as primitive as uh, post horses for carrying the mail. I really like that clip. I mean, we have a picture, uh, Alan Watt portrait in our uh, studio here. He's a very, very interesting speaker. He talks about a lot of topics. And it's interesting that he, he said these things 50 years ago, 50 plus years ago. And they're as relevant today as they were then. Maybe more relevant today. But the notion of money being an abstraction and an accounting, I mean, if you l- listen to the rest of this thing, you'll hear him say money that you have, uh, if you have a wad of cash or ones and zeros in a bank account, it is a future claim on economic output. So if I have $1,000, I can hold that $1,000 and at some point in the future, use that $1,000 to buy clothes or food or services in the future. There's no guarantee that the $1,000 will buy X, Y, and Z because prices fluctuate. They typically go up. Uh, but it is just a future claim. And if I have a negative balance, like a loan, it is what I owe back to the society to get even. And when, when the money supply mismatches the future economic output, you get price mismatches. This is where we get the hyperinflation, where government just prints lots of money, but there's not a commensurate output to go with that, and you see runaway inflation. Right, you need confidence in the widespread adoption, but then the ongoing use, ongoing stable use of that currency as a store of value right. in exchange. If it, without that confidence, then you won't have adoption of this technology, or so, really for as a form of currency. So the, the other reason I played this clip, or I, I grabbed this, was because he also talks about the obsolescence of physical money. In a in a in a digital world, we cannot continue. We cannot have 
the uh, use of digital exchange of goods and services using an analog medium. Mm-hmm. And especially as we move to microtransactions. Yeah. Microtransactions don't lend themselves to cash reconciliation. So one of the reasons why people want to go to a cashless society, think if you're a local tavern owner, right? You want it, you would love to be cashless, right? Because you don't have pilferage, you don't have to do reconciliation. Yeah. If you're the government, you definitely want cashless because now you have access to the information and you can ensure proper taxation and proper compliance with laws. So the issue becomes once I move digital, these cryptocurrencies now lend themselves to creating an alternate competition to the vested interests who want this digital conversion of commerce. Yeah. And that, that, that to me is why I think you're gonna see Bitcoin as the marquee cryptocurrency go up to 5,000. Now, if, the, if it does go up to 5,000, there'll be other cryptos underneath it that will have bigger rises. Because I think there's Absolutely, yeah. so if they go up twenty if they go up twenty percent that they're sort of the like the Dow Jones industrial average, you'll see individual currencies underneath it. It could be uh, Ripple, it could be uh, Stellar Lumens, it could be IOTA. There's a whole bunch of smaller so ones that are in the top ten, but they could go up forty or fifty percent. Yeah. And it's not going to be a winner takes all situation. No, no, it's 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 going to be tied to the application. That each offers. that drives the adoption levels, mm-hmm. right. and in terms of adoption, and I don't want to conflate cryptocurrency and Bitcoin as in terms of an investment vehicle with broader investments and adoption of blockchain technology, mm-hmm. really for like enterprise use cases. But I think there is still a correlation as positive news for blockchain adoption hits the press, then cryptocurrency typically goes up, even if, mm-hmm. even if there's not an explicit connection. Um, I think that CoinDesk chart. Do you have that, Bart? showing some of the investments uh, from venture capitalists going forward. So before I mentioned some of those anecdotal quotes, which are just hyperbolic and crazy, but if you just look at the VC money that is hitting, so click the uh, yearly VC funding, it's the next one over. So 2017 for total venture capitalist funding of blockchain, uh, really startups. And 2017 was just under um, a billion dollars, about 900 million. And 2018, and a lot of this was after the crash as well, is now topping $3 billion in terms of VC funding. So if you wow. look at where the money's going, uh, you can see all these sensationalist quotes and say, it's going to go to zero, it's going to go to a billion. Just look at where the smart guys in the room are putting money in terms of betting on the futures of where this is going. Mm-hmm. And I think that says something right there. Yeah, and, and this is, uh, when we prepared for this uh-huh. show and talked about it, this is the debate we were having about... The, the the technical nature of uh you know bitcoin as a proxy for for the cryptocurrencies is this anomaly that it had when it went up to 19,000 and, and then crashed does that represent a crash of bitcoin or a crash of the hype of bitcoin which to me i make the distinction between the two because i look at bitcoin today and it's up significantly over in the last two years. Now, me, I'll, I'll be the first to say, it had a wild ride, and if you were on that ride and bought at the peak, you were one of those people who are getting cleaned out now. But if you look at the longer-term trend, and I go back to, I'm going to call it the Harshpreet Singh rule, 
buy it, put it in the drawer, don't look at it, and in 10 years, pull it out. Yeah, and I don't want to get into making recommendations on the podcast like that. But no, no, I'm, not too, I'm, I'm just, just saying a, it's a perspective on on where you see the money. Like, these guys are putting significant money. Where do they, right, they, they expect right. a return in multiples of that $3 billion. So to answer your last question, though, I think it was a crash of the initial hype that was augmented by a lot of the institutions coming out and saying this is not yeah. stable, it's not yeah. regulated, and this is not safe. Mm-hmm. And then that was compounded when all these different exchanges got hacked. I mean, there was a $45 million hack from Binance, that same company, in like March or April that same year, right after the last year after the crash. And I think that really compounded everything. And I think when you start to see some of the bigger name institutions come out and uh, adopt this technology, I think it'll have a bit more integrity and legitimacy, at least in terms of perception. Is because, Binance back working now? Yeah, it's always working yeah. until it doesn't work again. Yeah. And I think it, you know, hacked. It's if you've ever used the website, for a while it was one of the few few ways to buy altcoins, which are any coin that's not Bitcoin yeah. or Ethereum. Uh, it's kind of a shady website. It's, so you it, still have stuff with Binance? I do. Yeah. Uh, Rohan, Binance? No. Nope. I have Binance. I haven't Art? used it. Yeah. I, it's not. It, it doesn't. What did we use it to buy? It, we had to buy something on it. Was I only on Binance. I don't even know. I think it was IOTA. It doesn't yeah. evoke confidence that where I'm putting my money is even going anywhere. Is it in someone's drawer in <laughs> in China? I have no idea where it's going. But I, and I've never tried to withdraw either. So I have no, <laughs> no confidence that the number on my screen actually means anything. But it's a huge exchange. This was probably, I think it's the biggest one in China. Um, but to that point, I know, Rowan, we were talking about this before. So uh, have you guys heard of Bakht? B A K K T? Not until you actually raised it, but it's fascinating. So the New York Stock Exchange, I didn't know this, but it's owned by the Intercontinental Exchange, ICE. I didn't know they were owned by anybody. But that's a, it's a company that has a revenue. Uh, they own the New York Stock Exchange and they are starting their own kind of cryptocurrency platform and they're calling it Bakht. It, at, at December this past year, a few months ago, it just raised $200 million in funding from Pantera Capital, from BCG, from Microsoft. I think that kind of an institution, and you, you could argue that what they're going to be using it for is a bastardization of the original you know, free but anonymous and uh, unhackable nature of this whole thing. What, but it's are they using one of the known cryptos? Or are they creating a new one? It's uh, it's like, more. It's I think it's it's probably going to be a new a new token. Yeah. But it's supposed to be more of a custody service for crypto assets. Is what they're calling it. So like when when uh, Binance launched, they they were pretty they were pretty good at grabbing a lot of exotic. There's like a thousand different coins out there. So there some of them are like hard to actually trade in. Uh, but Binance offered a lot and they offered their own coin as a, uh, a transitionary a pairing mechanism. So if I wanted to trade, say, Stellar Lumens, I could I could always pair it with Bitcoin. But if I wanted to trade Stellar Lumens with something like uh, uh, Ripple, you had to do a, a, a laddered transaction. I had to go from Stellar Lumens to Bitcoin, Bitcoin to Ripple. There weren't. There wasn't a a pair change for uh, Stellar Lumens to Ripple because there's a very small market. And so what Binance did was they created their their own transitionary uh, a pair to do the currency pair trades. So I'm wondering what Bakht is going to do. Bakht is going to be a competitor to Binance. It's going to be more of an exchange, yeah. but it's more, it's to facilitate hmm. cryptocurrency transactions. So they're saying the security infrastructure and regulatory clarity around cornerstone or our cornerstones for building trust and ultimately to help this technology serve people around the world they're saying that 
that the, the exchanges today are way too like wild, wild west. Yeah. And that we need to have more, more regulation and just more stringency around it. So you, I think that the, the, the original people really supporting this technology, the source of freedom, would probably hate this because it's the man taking over. Right. But again, in the wake of all these hacks and this volatility and this lack of trust, maybe this is what yeah. stokes the fire a bit. Right. This is this is if they can get this in place and prove that it's a successful use case, then it's definitely going to drive the 20, 30, 40% potentially increase. In no, but if you, if you want widespread adoption... You have to let somebody else manage your keys through your through your own other identity because if you screw up the keys, either through uh, you lost your password or whatever, it's gone. <coughs> and you know, I bought this device in the height of this thing. It's like a cold storage device where you plug in your computer and, and some kind of magic occurs with cryptology. I. <laughs> I left it in the box. I'm afraid. Part of to the touch whole thing it. was writing down passphrases on a piece of paper that you yeah. store somewhere, like we're Russian spies in the Cold War. Yeah. <laughs> How is that the safest method? But right now? with Box, we're talking about institutional investors, yeah. right? Stepping in. It, it's it's the American, you know, you know, blue chip version of Binance. It's going to be a regulated exchange to regulate physically settle Bitcoin futures. Good Bitcoin old exchanges. fashioned American company. So th- there's exactly. a, there's another uh, uh, platform out of San Francisco called Kraken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an account on there as well, and Kraken had to you had to go through uh, a, a, a like approval layers, right? Yeah. Different tiers of access. Based so I, on I got all the way up to level four trading, uh, uh, which you know I don't even know what that means, but I we I was using that to trade Stellar Lumens, which I thought was going to go through the roof because it was backed by one of the exchanges that that IBM was pushing. And I thought that was going to drive some of the adoption. And that was really how, when I was going after which ones to invest in, I was looking for what major firms were getting behind something to drive the adoption. Because I think that the, the, the next leg up, to the extent we think that Bitcoin's going to go from the low 4,000s to over five in a year, has to do with adoption levels. Mm-hmm. and it, And... I think as we revisit the concept of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general, I don't think it's dead. I think it had a bad last year and a half, terrible if you bought near the peak in the FOMO craze. But I don't. I think. I think the next leg up is coming in some shape or form. I don't know what it is. They need some better wins in terms of actual applications of the technology. So McKinsey's bearish on this whole thing. They were previously all about it because they want to get ahead of it, put the buzzword blockchain in all their white papers, you know, get some hits. But they're backing off now because they looked at 2018 for the use cases and they said really across the industry there are a lot of broken promises and uh, uh, unmet expectations. So bearish for now. We need big names and then actual wins that are credible that point towards blockchain success. And Walmart is very bullish on it. They're, and a, a, a company like Walmart controls the, the ecosystem around them. They can force yeah. their suppliers and their, even some of their customers in some ways to adopt the ways that they operate, especially Absolutely. from a supply chain perspective. Mm-hmm. So there's one thing that they're, they're adopting their own private blockchain network and they're forcing their whole network of companies and partners to participate. Yeah. You need people like that or companies like that to drive this forward and achieve some kind of success so people can say, Walmart's doing it. That's a bit of legitimacy we can hang our hat on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So what are the odds that any of you guys between now and let's just say September 1 
dump a nickel more into this market? <laughs> zero. Zero? I wouldn't say zero unless it's zero unless something new comes out. Yeah. I'm just all, if we're doing research for the show. I was like, McKinsey says no. MIT, very bullish. Like, I don't know what we'll listen to. A lot of smart yeah. guys saying opposite things here. And no one really knows, I think. It's just people are making speculations about the future. Mm-hmm. And it's just an, un, it's an unknown. Yeah. Well, so I, again, I, you know, I, I, when the, the original conversation I had about taking the plunge here was with our friend Harsh from Wipro. Uh, it was more like lottery ticket money. Mm-hmm. It's like at some level we we were in the abstract. Well, this is probably not going to happen, but if it does, it's like a lottery ticket, and that's why you said, you know, just you know, do your research, buy something that's cool, whatever you think that is, uh, and don't get caught up in the day to day hype. Put it in the drawer and come back ten years later and see what maybe this is really hitting off on that. And that was it. That was sort of my original foray into this. I haven't sold. I haven't liquidated anything. Uh, and I, I, I put in, I bought a bunch of different ones just to try it out and learn about it. I think it was an interesting education. It was expensive yeah. uh, education at some level. <laughs> uh, I don't want to say how much I bought, but <laughs> it was more than the one Bitcoin. Uh, anyway. And I know, Bart, we were talking before in terms of other trends, other than just saying, hey, this big name said this, what trends might drive this forward? And I think one of the big social trends and political trends today is on privacy. So I know as of recording this podcast in late March, no, no, uh, April 1st, right? So mm-hmm. not really April. April 1st, mm-hmm. yeah. Still a lot of heat over the past couple of months for social media, especially yeah. Facebook just getting grilled. Yeah. GDPR really just taking off and then really them enforcing GDPR. I know Google just got fined another bazillion dollars. I don't know the actual figure, but uh, just for not cracking down on uh, really you know, it's the whole fake news problem, but it's, it's all about data management and user privacy. And I think... As that heat, like heats the media up a little spotlight's bit, been huge on that. I think that's going to be a driver for adoption of services that use blockchain for um, user protection, transparency, but also anonymity in some cases as well. Yes. Yeah, I think because this is an outdated industry, you'll see more headlines and people messing up, and I think that all just it just adds gas to the fire mm-hmm. for blockchain adoption and more payment utilities that utilize that technology. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good point. You, you guys have uh, Coinbase accounts? Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so Rowan, if I could ask you, and maybe we can talk about it some other time, but if you could find some place in New York that will allow us to actually buy something like a cheeseburger or a beer for using our Coinbase accounts and our mobile phones and no cash, yeah, that would be a fun thing to yeah. do. Actually, the deli around the corner for me doesn't allow you to pay, but they have a Bitcoin ATM. Uh, ATM. Yeah, there's a corner store in Hoboken that has one of those as well. It's just <laughs> yeah. sitting on top of a coffee but yeah, machine. See, see if you can find I'll a couple look, places yeah. in New York where we could actually uh, <laughs> play with the level because that will help us with our uh, uh, education on the adoption level. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I mean, Manhattan's big enough. Could you live a week by only spending crypto? Well, there, there's, a, there's, something... there's a great CNN documentary yeah. uh, with the guy who did... Um, uh, Bart, if you can look it up, the guy who did the uh, Super Size Me, uh, uh, what's Spurlock? his name? Yeah, Spurlock. Mar- Morgan Spurlock. Mm-hmm. He did a a Bitcoin only uh, exercise. What could he? Anywhere he went, do you take Bitcoin? Do you take Bitcoin? He did it during the hype of this whole thing. I think he that came out in seventeen. Um, yeah. Oh, so actually, it was earlier than that. Twenty fifteen. You're looking it up. Yeah. A very interesting uh, 
uh, documentary. That's another one. Let's put that in the show notes to go watch. He went around. Now, I guess there's probably more places that do it, but maybe there's less places after this. But there were travel sites that allowed you to buy airline tickets. Uh, yeah. Spur- Spurlock actually visited one of the mining facilities in, in uh, upstate New York. Uh, pretty interesting. Price was six thirty when he bought in to do this experiment. Yeah, but it, I would like to go do kind of what he did was is just do a couple things in New York. Yeah. Uh, with it, we mm-hmm. we might as well either because it's just sitting on my iPhone. <laughs> uh, uh, I got some Binance, some Kraken, some Coinbase. It'd be interesting to see what that how how seamless that process is yeah. even if they do accept we'll do it and, and then and then maybe uh you know we'll do a quick readout with some in the future when we maybe yeah. talk about this again but let's let's just let's let's commit to to revisit this when bitcoin hits five thousand or when it hits three thousand <laughs> yeah and say how wrong we were right because right now it's right in the middle and i I think if it hits three thousand, I think then I would change my forecast. It's not going to go to five. <laughs> <laughs> but I we think need, it, we need like an asterisk on this podcast and be like, we're not professional financial advisors. Do, yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> do not take yeah. this as advice. Uh, here's the, here's the advice I think you should take from me financially. If you want to lose money and are interested in buying something high and selling it low, please follow everything that I'm saying. <laughs> because that's been that's been my track record. <laughs> Buy and hold. I may never I may never sell. I'm just going to hold. Yeah. Buy and hold it until you're in the grave. Yeah. Know? So, uh, no. Anyway, it, 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 the, the, we're just really commenting on this from a technology perspective, understanding the, the social phenomenon. This is this is highly speculative. All this stuff. It, it is uh, lottery money, gambling money. It's there's not. I would say very little investing here. You can make a lot of money, but you can also make a lot of money buying lottery tickets. Yeah. If you're lucky. Mm-hmm. So. Great. great. All right. Great. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Hold. Hey, thanks for listening to Pardon the Disruption. We'd like you to subscribe to our podcast if you like it. You can find us on most of the platforms where you get your podcast from, whether that be iTunes or YouTube or whatever you're on. Uh, we also want some feedback. Which shows do you want us to cover? What do you like? What do you not like? So that we can do this. We're doing this for you. We're not doing this for anything else. So please subscribe and give us some feedback. Thank you very much.